Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host Ben Davison and it is Sunday the 28th of May in the year 2023 and I hope wherever you are around Australia and indeed around the world that you are having a wonderful day whether you're listening to this on the 28th or sometime thereafter. Look, I'm going to be level with you. I did not watch Insiders today. I followed along with some of the tweets, but quite frankly, I cannot bring myself to watch another Murdoch Spiv on the panel who has no insight or insider knowledge just on the ABC. I just can't do it. It, it it's too much. It's it's far far too much. And quite frankly, I'm just so disappointed in David Spears. Here was a week where we acknowledged Sorry Day, where we acknowledged the anniversary of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, where uh, Dan Boucher was on the panel talking about his experiences of systemic racism, of racism in the community, of how important uh, civil debate would be for making sure the referendum succeeded and who should pop up. And I, and I don't attribute any particular blame to this particular individual from the Murdoch Empire, from the Australian, but it's a fact that the Australian this week had to apologise for doctoring a letter to the editor about one of the Yes campaign spokespeople. That is a fact. They have done that. They have admitted that there was, quote, unquote, a mistake. Now, how you make a mistake with a letter to the editor by adding content seems almost unfathomable to me. You know, we cannot continue to see the ABC erode its purpose. Its charter talks about the Australian broadcasting system. Not just its own panels and shows need to have balance, but how we have balance across the broadcasting system. And the system is out of balance. David Spears can hold his I stand, stand with Stan sign as many times and as many days in a row as he likes. But as long as his show continues to platform people who work for, speak for, and engage with billionaire-owned media outlets that openly attack both the ABC and presenters on it and openly do so on the basis of who they are, where they were born, their whether or not they're Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, it is going to continue to get worse. I just, you can see, you can hear, I think you can hear how difficult it is for me to speak about this because there are so many stories this week that need to be talked about on Insiders. So, so much around the referendum that needs to be discussed about Peter Dutton and his outright negativity uh, through to uh, the fact that the Yes campaign is now rolling 
right around the country. You can see online the number of community events, the number of community organizations, sporting organizations that are supporting the Yes campaign. You know, we've seen superannuation funds support uh, the referendum and encouraging people to vote yes. There is no lack of goodwill towards the yes campaign and the need for a voice. In fact, it still remains on track to win the referendum despite the negative talk in the media, despite all of the attacks from the Murdoch empire. And they continued, by the way, even after Stan Grant's final episode on Q&A, the Australian continues to attack Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander views, <laughs> desires, uh, suggestions, uh, to the point, as I say, they doctored a letter to the editor about Noel Pearson. I mean, it just boggles the mind how anyone at the ABC sat down and went, you know who we should have on this week? Someone from The Australian. Now, if they were on there talking about what had happened with their newspaper and their attacks on Stan Grant and their attacks on Noel Pearson and their continuous editorial line attacking attacking the voice, attacking people who want to take the hand of the 80% plus Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who want the voice, who want to walk together in reconciliation, who want this country to be a 65,000-year-old nation that recognises its First Nations rather than a 200-year-old colonial outpost, if they had done that, if they had had that discussion, then maybe it would be worth tuning in. Maybe it would be worth tuning in. Instead, I watched the snippets from Dan Boucher because Dan Boucher is a journalist of the highest order and Dan Boucher has put himself in the firing line, put himself in that environment. Why? Because he is trying to ensure that the Australian people understand what is happening to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this country. Every time, every time we tweet about the voice or the referendum, whether it's me or Van or the Week on Wednesday account, nameless, faceless trolls and bots come out of the woodwork. Sally McManus was tweeting about this today. There's an article that's come out that shows how many new accounts have been created. Elon Musk has allowed the proliferation of anti-democratic forces on his platform And this referendum is in danger of being contaminated by that institutional failure. And Dan Boucher speaking up on Insiders was important. So I was happy to watch those clips and my full solidarity to Dan as he continues to try and cover what is a very difficult process. A referendum is a difficult process. And it is a binary process. As we have talked about on the week on Wednesday before, it is a yes or no process, which brings me to the guest they had on Insiders, Lydia Thorpe. I've talked about Lydia Thorpe before, and I know it's been a while since we've had an episode. We did have Wednesday off, but and we will talk about some of the other stories of the week. But I do need to point out that Lydia Thorpe, 
went on Insiders in an attempt to uh, restore her reputation, I suppose, reform her reputation in the eyes of the public, and good on her for having a go at doing that. Because, quite frankly, I think it had fallen well below, well below the floor and was in the basement levels of public opinion. Now, in her attempts to use insiders for her own political uh, reformation, she has simply managed to muddy the waters even further. I have to admit, I thought Lydia Thorpe was in the no camp. I thought the leader of a movement who stood alone in a courtyard when she announced her leadership of a movement was against the voice. She, does, she says she's not in the no camp, but she's also not in the yes camp. She thinks it's powerless. She's worried it'll be one person. Just strange things, things that bear no resemblance to any of the discussions that sensible people have had about the voice. But she also seems to fail to understand that a referendum is a binary choice. It's not yes, if, or no, but. It is yes or no. So Lydia Thorpe saying that she'll abstain, Lydia Thorpe saying that she's not for or against, makes her a no, quite frankly. She's a senator. When the joint sitting happens, if she abstains, she'll count towards the total numbers but she won't count towards those in favour. Like, there's just some political realities that Lydia Thorpe has to come to grips with. And now that she doesn't have the cover of the Greens Party to help her understand how the systems of politics work, she has to get herself up to speed much quicker. Because frankly, it's embarrassing. Be for it or be against it. They're your two options. They're your two options. People can say, I'm not sure yet. I haven't made up my mind yet. That's fine. There is still time for you to make a decision. But to say that you will abstain is to abrogate your responsibility, particularly if you're a senator. It's a compulsory voting system. I imagine Lydia Thorpe intends to walk into the voting booth, have her name ticked off, and throw a blank ballot in the bin. That's her right to do that. She can do that. That does not mean she is abstaining. That is effectively a no vote. We need people to vote yes. It needs a majority in favour and a majority of the states to be in favour. So in this week where we recognise the anniversary of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and Sorry Day, it was a shame that insiders decided to give Lydia Thorpe a platform to effectively be Lydia Thorpe rather than, say, ask Linda Burney, the minister, to come on. So no, 
Friends, I didn't watch Insiders this week. And I'll say this, I will not watch Insiders any week where they have someone from the billionaire-owned media who has attacked the ABC or attacked the workers of the ABC on their panel. I will not do it. Now, if that means I never watch Insiders again, then I'll be grateful for the sleep-ins. I hope it means, I hope that the ABC will wake up to itself and stop platforming people who work for companies that want to destroy them. No other organisation that I know of actively promotes, actively gives platform to those who seek to destroy them. At least, not without questioning their motivations and why their company is trying to do that. No questions for the Murdoch spoof on the couch about his company's attacks on Stan Grant or his company's attacks on Noel Pearson, or his company's attacks on the ABC. Until the ABC is willing to stand up and say no more to the very people who bully it, I'm not prepared to get out of bed and watch them placate those bullies. Speaking of bullies, what a wonderful series of estimates we had in Canberra over the last week or so. The Liberals are an absolute mess. Don't get me wrong, there's many things that you can be critical of of the Labor government, and people have been, but Alex Antich, who has appeared on the Steve Bannon podcast, who continues to call everyone who is not to the right of Genghis Khan, a communist, has tried to get the department, one of our intelligence departments, to say that there are quote-unquote violent trans activists. The department, of course, refused to do so because no such thing exists. Instead, what exists is people who are whipped up by people like Alex Antich and his friend Steve Bannon who attack trans people who attack ordinary everyday citizens who simply know or listen to or engage with trans people. Alex Antich, you are part of the problem. We had Steve Canavan being totally owned by the Electrical Trade Union of Australia when he tried to pretend that somehow or another nuclear power was in the interests of working people. And the ETU made it very clear that that was not correct because they came prepared. They had the numbers around how many workers in renewables versus how many workers in nuclear. And credit to Trevor Gould from the National Office of the ETU, who simply schooled Matt Canavan, the cosplay senator from Queensland, on what is actually going on in our electrical systems. If you are a Sparky, you should be joining that union. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. In fact, whatever job you do, you should join your union. And we'll talk more about some of the other areas 
uh, of workplace reform that are coming up shortly. But join at australianunions.org.au slash wow. And look, friends, the cavalcade of clowns in the Senate didn't end there. We had Jared Rennick trying to attack the health department and the government over their efforts to stop the spread of COVID misinformation on social media platforms, a policy which, believe it or not, is a continuation of when the Liberals were last in power. Jared Rennick wants COVID misinformation on social media platforms. Jared Rennick is COVID misinformation on social media platforms. Now, we can laugh and giggle about these people who dine with Nazis and dance with COVID deniers and who somehow or another think that nuclear power is safe to rain from the sky. But the reality is they have huge social media followings, many of them bots and foreign accounts, and they use foreign platforms like Steve Bannon's podcast to spread their message, to gather up talking points, and to infiltrate our democracy with foreign anti-democratic ideas. So much so that even Michaela Cash, who used her time in estimates to have a bit of a whinge about the timing of letters that were sent to different senators, apparently she thinks there's some grand conspiracy where letters received by coalition senators a day or two after they've been received by a Labor senator is a plot against the Liberal Party rather than the repercussions of Liberal mismanagement of Australia Post for a decade and cuts to services overseen by the board of Australia Post, which is, of course, dominated by former Liberals, former Liberals, including Liberal MPs, Senators and party presidents. No, no, apparently it's some grand plot. No, Michaela, Michaela, it's simply what happens when you cut services. At the same time, Michaela Cash, of course, has been outed as spending time with far-right quote-unquote fathers groups before putting family law reforms into public policy. Michaelia Cash, who is a strong advocate for no at this referendum, Michaelia Cash, who has spent her entire career attacking working people, who has overseen attack after attack after attack, law changes that set up bodies specifically to attack organised workers, workers who stood together on issues of safety. Michaelia Cash is now literally dining with Nazis. We have a saying in this house and on this show that you might have heard before, you don't dine with Nazis and you don't dance for trots. We hold true to that, but it seems that the Liberal Party didn't get the memo. Michaela Cash, stop dining with Nazis and maybe people will take your mail delivery problems a little more seriously. Not that they're serious to begin with, quite frankly. Of course, she's not the only one with a nonsense complaint in the Senate. Sarah Henderson, 
the loser of Karangamite, who was parachuted into the Senate by the Liberal Party in Victoria, spent her time critiquing the fashion choices of senior public servants. My God, imagine you're paid over $200,000 a year, plus allowances, plus expenses, and you choose to use your time to talk about the T-shirts, shirts, and collar and tie arrangements of public servants. I don't care what public servants wear to work. I don't care what anyone wears to work, as long as it's safe, as long as it doesn't uh, overly expose them to the elements. Quite frankly, people can wear what they like. Of course, Matt Canavan, when he was spouting his isn't nuclear power just free jobs from the sky nonsense, wasn't wearing a tie, something that Sarah Henderson didn't bother to consider as she proceeded to critique this poor public servant who was simply trying to do his job. And credit to him, when asked whether or not there was a dress code, he said he's more interested in the skills and competencies of his workforce than he is in their fashion choices. Quite frankly, so am I. I'm a public sector workers who know what they're doing. Public sector workers who have enough resources and enough colleagues who are not reliant on the big four consulting firms and global multinational corporations to fill gaps because of artificial staffing caps imposed by, wait for it, the government that Sarah Henderson was a part of. Government whose artificial staffing caps led to the debacle involving PwC. I won't get into the details of that today because we simply don't have time. But certainly, certainly, if I was Sarah Henderson, the loser of Karangamite, I'd be a little more concerned about real government accountability than I am about who wears what to the office. But talking about losers, given unearned political second lives, New South Wales will have a new senator. Following the death of Jim Molan earlier this year, the New South Wales Liberal Party has gone through an extensive process to narrow down its choices between the loser of Gilmore, Andrew Constance, or the loser of Parramatta, Maria Kovacic. The Liberals have chosen Maria Kovacic. So the loser of Parramatta gets a free Senate seat over the loser from Gilmore. Are you sensing a theme here in the Liberal Party? It's almost as if winning a seat isn't that important. Perhaps this is why they have such contempt for our democratic processes and the democratic processes of other organisations. Voting simply isn't that important to them. Now, while all this has been going on in the Senate estimates process, while all of this liberal 
nonsense has been bubbling away at the top of the media cycle, real reform has been happening. Real proposals for change are being tabled. Research from the Australian Council of Trade Unions and research from the Centre for Future Work was released this week looking at the cancer of the gig economy, looking at the fact there are now more dependent contractors than independent contractors, that these dependent contractors, often referred to by me as sham contracting, are getting paid $12,500 a year less than genuine independent contractors that contracting in the NDIS and in aged care is resulting in workers getting paid below award wages, that over $400 million a year is being ripped out of people's retirement savings because of this process. Labor, of course, is promising to reform the gig economy, and Anthony Albanese has launched a process of consultation on reforms to the care sector as well. Uh, You can see that on his social media. Now, of course, the boss's pamphlet, the AFR, has squealed blue murder about any changes to the way the gig economy works. It has attempted to say that it will destroy construction, despite the fact that Tony Burke, the Minister for Industrial Relations, has clearly said that genuine contracting arrangements most prevalent in construction, will be will continue. Of course they will continue. I myself, by the way, work as a contractor to many organisations. But I'm able to do that because I am in a position to negotiate strong wages. I get paid well above award when I contract my work. I have an MBA. I have a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. I have decades of executive and governance experience. I am not in a low-paid sector. I am not competing in a race to the bottom on price, which is what these reports show is happening in the NDIS, in aged care, in transport, that consistently where workers are forced into sham contracting, they are competing on price the lowest price, to deliver services. Now, you would think that with all of that downward price pressure, there would be reductions in cost for the taxpayer. Well, of course, that's not what happens. What happens instead is that profitable companies with highly paid CEOs, some of whom own their own private islands, I found out this week, simply take more of a clip from the taxpayer. This is not a debate about choice and control in the NDIS. This is a debate about the structure of the workforce. People will be able to choose whatever workers they like, but none of those workers should be allowed to be exploited by multimillionaire CEOs. And in fact, the Centre for Future Work report points out that there is a company that is using technology platforms not to hype up, not to drive up the level of sham contracting, but to employ people. It's a company I've talked about before, a company I've done some work for called HireUp, which employs people directly. Now, I'm sure there were people out there 
who hear the words reform and NDIS and start to feel some anxiety. I can understand why. I can understand why. But we have to understand that without reform, without a managed reform process, this will get away from us. By which I mean, conservatives will disassemble the entire system. They allowed it to get to this point where cowboys and sham contractors have eroded public trust in the NDIS and in aged care and even in parts of the transport sector, quite frankly. And they do that because they want to stop paying for it. They believe in a user pay system. We have to get back to basics here, people. And the basic fact of the matter is, in every part of public policy, the liberal position is to remove, to remove collective policy outcomes and install individualist outcomes, to remove the NDIS as a collective vehicle that we all contribute to so that when when and if we need it, it's there for us to use. Instead, individuals should be relying on themselves. They feel the same way about healthcare, about retirement, and even about education. So yes, if you're already in a care sector, if you're in aged care, if you're in the NDIS, if you're in transport even, anything that is being gigafied, you need to join your union. Go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, join your union, be part of the reform process and discussion, and let's make sure that workers get the wages they're entitled to, superannuation they're entitled to, and are not forced in a race to the bottom where they are underpaid and overworked. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about my family members who've needed care over the years, the last thing I want is for the worker who is providing that care, providing that support, to be exhausted, to be underpaid, to be distracted by their own money problems and to make a mistake because they have so much pressure, so much exhaustion and so little empowerment in their work. That is so much more anxiety, so much more anxiety. Let's have workers who are paid properly, who are respected for the work they do, who are able to focus on that work, safe in the knowledge that they have secure employment, they have decent pay, and they're able to pay their bills. Of course, education is one of the areas where conservatives have for a long time driven the wedge of privatisation through stealth and through the concept of, believe it or not, choice and control. 
which has resulted in the massive industry that is private education in this country. This week, of course, we had Public Education Day. And a shout out to our friends at the Australian Education Union for their excellent work in having hashtag proud to be public trend in the top four trending topics all day on Public Education Day, despite the fact it was the same day where sadly Tina Turner passed away. It's difficult to crack top of the trending charts when Tina Turner has passed, but fourth place after Tina Turner, uh, Nutbush, and uh, Simply the Best is not a bad effort at all. And you know what the really pleasing thing from my perspective as I looked through those hashtags and saw how many Australians jumped on and uh, put the hashtag on their posts and posted the photo of themselves uh, at public schools was the, the incredible diversity, the vast amount of people from all walks of life who have gone through the public education system in Australia, judges, lawyers, doctors, uh, we had people who work in transport, people who work in aged care, teachers, academics, uh, ministers of various governments uh, around the country, uh, MPs from around the country, and of course, just everyday ordinary people who are doing just every kind of job imaginable. <laughs> it was really amazing to see nurses, accountants, just every possible job and every possible outcome. People who their experiences of public education led to them becoming teachers or principals, led to them going to work in the Department of Education, led to them becoming academics in the field of education. These incredible stories, people who went into engineering because their experience of public education gave them a love of numbers, people who went into sports management and sports science who had careers in sport and then continued on uh, in post their sporting career to do even more education and take up sports management type positions. An incredible, incredible day to see how important public education is in this country. And of course, we know our public schools are not properly funded. They are still underfunded in this country. It's one of the great lies that the Morrison era told us was about record levels of funding for education. All of that was based on per capita uh, levels, all, you know, just take, failing, just failing to adhere to the needs-based model of education. And I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that. I think a lot of people thought this debate was settled because it makes sense. Every Australian understands that we live in a country where resource allocation should be based on need. That's what we talk about when we talk about the NDIS, when we talk about aged care, when we talk about healthcare. We don't prioritise the provision of healthcare to people who don't need it. Why would we provision more educational resources to schools that don't need it? Well, sadly, we do through the special deals that Morrison set up for private schools. Now, I'm not going to sit here and advocate for the removal of resources from any school. I know some people would like me to do that, and perhaps in the past I have. 
But, you know, I think it's more important that we focus on getting all of our public schools properly funded. And what Proud to be Public Day showed me was just how amazing our public schools are already. And I just think, I just imagine what they could achieve if they were funded as they need to be funded, if they were given the resources that they need, if every classroom had the teachers and the support that it needed to make sure that every child had the attention and the educational opportunities that they need to succeed. That's what I want to see. I'm no longer interested in various debates about which system and which school. I just want to see that we fund and resource our public schools to the level they need to be resourced. And quite frankly, as I understand it, it's not a lot of money. In the context of the federal budget, it's not a lot of money that's needed to get our public schools just to the minimum level that they need to make sure that in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time, in 20 years' time, Public Education Day has even more people who are proud to be public, who have achieved even more, who have built this country even greater than it is today. And look, there is a survey. Jason Clare, the Minister for Education, the Commonwealth Minister for Education, has put out a survey. You can go to education.gov.au. Follow the links there. There's a lot of links. It's a, it's not the easiest survey to find. Uh, I had a look at it. You've got to be a parent, uh, a student, or a teacher at the moment. I understand that there's uh, some other ways that you can participate. Maybe you can send the department an email if you're not in one of those categories. Public education is so important. I hope you'll uh, join with me in continuing to support it. And I was very proud to put up my Proud to be Public uh, photo from my days at Skipton Primary School. Uh, and shout out to anyone from Skipton Primary School who uh, was with me there in the 90s. Look, a little bit longer today because we didn't have a week on Wednesday this week. Van will be joining me on Wednesday. We will be back with the week on Wednesday. You can, of course, catch up with uh, all of our episodes through our Buy Me A Coffee supporter page. That's buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Van's new Guardian uh, piece is out. It's about Bimbo Core. Check it out. It's a really fascinating read. Uh, about the satirical uh, insights uh, of that whole movement. Uh, And, of course, I will send a link to that article to those people who are uh, supporters of the podcast when you received this link. If you received this link in your email, you have got the link to that story as well. If you're not already a supporter, you can become one at that buymeacoffee.com slash work on Wednesday page and you'll get every episode as they come out along with interesting links uh, from myself and Van that you might want to read as well. So until Wednesday, despite all of the noise, despite all of the negativity and the opportunities to participate in it, remember to be kind to yourself and to each other.